Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Ocean's Eleven starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, and Andy Garcia. Screenplay by Ted Griffin and directed by Steven Soderbergh, our first Soderbergh here on Rise Smile Films. Everybody, welcome back. It's time to close out another film review cast. This one built all around the heist. This one's been a lot of fun, actually, and um, we might have to return to the heist again because, you know, there's a lot of stuff we've left, like even like Peck and Paws, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, mm, or yeah. uh, I know we did uh, Jackie Brown and Tarantino, but like there, there's so many other heists, Baby Driver, uh, I know we differ on drive, but that could be a fun sure. discussion. Yeah. Uh, what a cool just subgenre. I kind of forgot how much I really liked it. The strategy piece is fun, isn't it? And the Watching team, them build the, build the plan. And the team element. Yeah. I think we're going to get into a lot of that today. But before we get started today, we're pouring out some pinhook uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Racehorses, it seemed appropriate dealing with betting and Vegas and casinos. So we had this one uh, a few months back. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. I like how they just name every style they do after a different horse or something that they're something that they're working on very clever and while we're just kind of booting up here real quick you know what popped into my head uh today let's see if you remember this i think it was 2013 or 2014 do you remember when uh u2 just automatically auto-populated one of their uh albums to everyone's itunes without anybody asking yeah i do Do i do how weird that came to your mind songs of innocence i think it was yeah it had that song, uh, The Miracle of the Ballad of Joey Ramone or whatever. Right. K- kind of not a great album, but that was kind of insane. It was just like, it, you didn't download it. You just went to iTunes one day and it was just there. Freebie for you. I mean, everyone kind of poked fun at it because they know you too, you know, they're like, they were just like, if it was the Beatles or the Stones, everyone probably would have been like, okay, that's pretty cool. But it was something about U2 doing it that just kind of irked everybody. <laughs> Are you a U2 fan? I like some of it. I like, you know, the early stuff, Joshua Tree, uh, Octon Baby, A War. I really like some of those albums. You know, I've never been. My wife's a huge U2 fan. Mm-hmm. Like, top two or three of all time yeah. for her. And, uh, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, I scored us some tickets oh, yeah. to go see them. Dude. Yeah. For all of the things that I don't like on their albums, none of that showed up in the concert. That was one of the most amazing Put on a good show. rock shows. Top three I think I've ever seen. Well, this is going to sound silly. Uh, back, you remember the 3D craze back when like Beowulf came out? Yeah. And it, it was like yeah. emerge, emerging. I went to see in theaters U2 concert in 3D from like Rio. Mm. And that was pretty cool too. Yeah. So funny that it just popped in my head. I was like, what a weird thing that's happened that will never happen again. <laughs> they had two things in that show that had happened that I've never seen before. Okay. And one was they took a request from an audience member. Okay which was cool. I'd never seen that. And they played it. And that guy wanted to play um, in God's country. No. Uh, oh, what was it? As a band, you have to be like on point, on point and know your stuff. And then the other one, they brought like, there's a bunch of people around the, the base of the stage mm-hmm. that had instruments. And they brought a dude up with a guitar and let him play the guitar and the song that he chose of theirs as well. Pretty cool. It was really cool. That's awesome. Pretty awesome. Cool, a fun YouTube discussion this morning. Yeah. I was like, I was like, crazy album. And but if it was good, we wouldn't have cared. But it kind of wasn't a great album. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's, I think it's a good segue into a point that I'm going to make a lot today, and that's 
the relevance or the self grandiose nature of exactly knowing where you are. Sure. To just put that on this iPod that's a five hundred dollar purchase, and we're going to put our album on there. Is that's ballsy. Kind of proud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're yeah. very proud of your album, you too. All right. Excellent. But let's dive right in with our flight question. Excellent. Well, why don't you, uh, what do you got on tap for us for the flight question this week? Well, before we get into that, how's your uh, team doing in the playoffs? How's your team doing? About as well as mine. Playoffs? You're talking about playoffs? Playoffs? <laughs> playoffs? Playoffs, Jim Mora. Um, in honor of football. Okay. And the, I think what seems to be on paper, a really good slate of games over the weekend. Hopefully, yeah. I hope. Mm-hmm. I gave you this flight, and that's you and three other people, okay. characters from film. You get to assemble your own little team of mm-hmm. four, you plus three. Okay to break into Roger Goodell's office and steal the Vince Lombardi trophy. Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the National Football League. Yes. You know, when you told me this question, I saw a movie right away about uh, a city like Cleveland or someplace that's never won one. Ooh, they're good. Per- st- oh. perpetually bad, and the only way they're ever going to get one is if they go steal it. these diehard fans go in and steal it. Oh, my God, that's so high concept. Isn't that pretty good? No, really, that's, that's <laughs> Jesse, that's high concept gold. You know what it reminded me of? Talk about a deep cut here. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There was a movie in the 90s called Celtic Pride Yep. with uh, Damon, Damon Wayans and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. They have to kidnap him so the Celtics can win a championship. <laughs> a long forgotten fan base reaches a breaking point and decides to do something the team that they love could no longer do, break into the commissioner's office, and finally get the Vince Lombardi trophy. There you go. And you could even say four friends yeah. from a long forgotten or unimportant fan. Like, there's the pitch. Yeah. That would sell right now. It would be it's pretty good. It's <laughs> good, dude. Excellent. All right, let's hear your team. But I get to pick three film characters from film history here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to do 3-3? Three, three? Sure. Okay. My number three. So I need to have a mastermind. I'm mm-hmm. sure you kind of teamed out your characters in a a strategic way. My mastermind, I need a manipulator. I need someone that's good at staging things. I need someone who's ruthless. Mm -hmm. I got to pick Michael Corleone. But give me Godfather part one Corleone and not the part two who descends into complete chaos and madness by the end. I need the one that orchestrates a mass killing on the baptism of his godson. (laughs) Good choice. Yeah, that's my mastermind. So I'll match your mastermind or strategist choice with my third pick as well. Okay. And I'm going to go to Inception, and I'm going to take Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Arthur. Mm. Not Dom, because Dom's going to bring Maul, and we Uh, don't need her in there. You don't. But (laughs) I will take Arthur, because I think he's able to concoct the plan and and bring it to some version of fruition. I think his role in the film is known as the point man. There you go. Great choice. Awesome. Number two. My number two. So I need someone who's much like this film is going to be able to do disguises and, you know, be able to manipulate with charm. So I'm picking this character because he did do this in his film, not to a very good degree, but I want some comedy in in this scenario. You got to pick Jack Burton. I'm talking about the scene in Big Trouble when he goes into the uh, sex uh, brothel as Harry Swanson looking for the Chinese girl with green eyes. Chinese girls don't come with green eyes, Mr. Burton. Mm-hmm. Boy, I wish these things were in color. And he's so ridiculous. Oh, so yeah. I need that, but he's kind of not the hero. So that's going to come in on my third pick. 
Good one. I also chose the disguise guy for number two. Uh, mine's a little bit different, and you could make the case that this might be the strategist as well, but I chose this for the man of many faces who mm. was quite the banker with the signature that was a spot-on match, Mr. Andy Dufresne. Good choice. Yeah. So I think charming can be unabrasive and warm and friendly and able to chameleon or manipulate himself into just about any role that this might require. So he's going to use his smarts for it. Number one. So I kind of need the muscle here in in this group to do the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then someone who can, you know, use some weapons if need be. Mm -hmm. So I'm going with John Matrix from Commando, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Was that it kill you last? I lied. I lied. That's kind of a fun movie we might want to wheel into a cask at some point. That movie's wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many one-liners, yeah. and it's just an action movie. There's That's that's it. Yeah. It's not trying to be anything else. Good. Yeah. Um, I did not go muscle. I went distraction. Okay. Specifically honeypot for the winner here. Oh, okay. Miss Jane Barrett from Focus. Mm. Margot Robbie. Oh, nice. Goodell seems like he is ripe for <laughs> the honeypot trap. Doesn't he just seem schmarmy and sort of grossly slick? Sure, I'm sure Robert Kraft would set that up for him. Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Met a great new masseuse. Bad joke. I like your team. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah, yours too. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. I, I could see the whole thing, actually. Yeah. And I like when I'm able to see the whole thing. It's just so crystal clear. Sounds like a movie. But I'm excited to talk about this team in in this film. So why don't we dive right in with our review breakdown of Ocean's Eleven. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't seen it before, well, it's it's 20 years old. So hopefully you've seen it at some point in your life. But it's on HBO Max right now. So give it a watch. Good morning. Morning. Please state your name for the record. Daniel Ocean. Thank you. Mr. Ocean, the purpose of this hearing is to determine whether, if released, you are likely to break the law again. While this was your first conviction, you have been implicated, though never charged, in over a dozen other confidence schemes and frauds. What can you tell us about this? As you say, ma'am, I was never charged. Mr. Ocean, what we're trying to find out is, was there a reason you chose to commit this crime? Or was there a reason you simply got caught this time? My wife left me. I was upset. I got into a self-destructive pattern. If released, is it likely you'd fall back into a similar pattern? She already left me once. I don't think she'd do it again just for kicks. Mr. Ocean, what do you think you would do if released? And if the music wasn't cue enough for you to decide what he's going to do once he gets out of prison, I mean, it's there on a platter for you, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Uh, let's start here at the beginning with Mr. Clooney. One of your favorite actors, actually. I mm-hmm. think I think you like him in a lot of films, Out of, out of Sight. You know, uh, we like him in Ides of March. We talked about him previously on Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Not a good deal for him. I like Clooney, too. What is it about him that, like, you, you enjoy about his presence on screen? I think I really like the way he's able to verbally relay a sense of charm mm-hmm. and calmness, even in that. And information. That line, she already left me once. I don't think she's going to do it again for kicks. Mm-hmm. Could be delivered really ugly and sarcastically, but there's an element of humor that's self-deprecating, but also at yeah. the same time, a little bit elite. Mm-hmm. Like, are you really asking me this stupid question? And I'll go ahead and humor you and make a joke out of it, but come on, lady. Yeah. 
he's able to do that time and time again. He plays really well Mm -hmm. off of what the other's actors offer him on screen. Mm -hmm. It comes naturally. He just feels natural. Yeah. Um, And I'll be honest with you, like, I do think he's absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) He He looks like a million bucks. And a lot of that has my ties to Mr. Grant, as in Cary Grant. He so, is the kind of equivalent of the 90s, 2000s era of Cary Grant. Absolutely. Super versatile, can do everything from drama to comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God, burn after reading? Love him in that. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some Clooney movies that I don't particularly care for, mm-hmm. but I can rarely say, I mean, if I can't think of one right now, that I didn't like because of him. Yeah. I no. didn't love Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah. I didn't love that movie. Well, it's not his fault. No, but he's great in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Can sing. <laughs> dance. He's just very versatile and seems to be comfortable in many, many different nice, skins that he nice wears. Nice description. Yeah. yeah. For me, I think it's that kind of, with actors, certain actors, I think there's an unteachable charisma. Mm-hmm. You either got it or you don't. Yeah. To me, I think like actors like, Harrison Ford um, yeah. had it. Yeah. And you just don't teach that. You just have it. When you show up in front of a camera, it just comes out. Stewart has that too. Stewart has it. Cary Grant had it. Marlon Brando had it. Mm-hmm. Um, just so many people throughout history. Yeah. Uh, and he has it. And you could just see it in this in this scene, the way he tells those lines. She already left me once. I'm not going to go through that again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a good, you're just a good screen presence. So if this is the guy leading our team, I mean, I'm already like engaged to like, I'm curious to see what are you thinking of Mr. Daniel ocean? Like you're getting out of prison. We don't know why you're there uh, or for how long, obviously it was for some con job that he's just lived his whole life doing. Uh, but I'm, I'm ready for the ride. I'm ready. Buckle up. Let's get going. Yeah. And an aspect of Steven, uh, uh, Steven Soderbergh's filmmaking that I really like unlike Paul Greengrass, who's literally shaking the camera in every single scene, he uh, Soderbergh does the same thing, but it's like it's so minimal in the way it's kind of like shaking, like when it's handheld, but it has a like a movement to it, and it's so refreshing. It's mm. not static; it's got a, like a nice grace and movement, but it doesn't make you nauseous. Mm. And he has that in all of it, out of sight. Uh, you know, later with like uh, what was that movie he did? Side effects and. Uh, he did a whole movie on an iPhone called Unsane. I mean, mm. he's very innovative with how he uses traffic uh, is another good example of that. Sure. Uh, I do have a question for you here right at the beginning. So he gets out of prison. Um, we don't know how long he's been there. And the very first place he goes to is, uh, goes to is Atlantic City. Mm. And he meets up with Frank, Bernie Mac. Why do you think he goes to him first versus going directly to Rusty? I would say he's had a plan in mind for some time. Okay. A lot of time in the can to just your time, you know, thoughts can draw out like mm-hmm. a blade. <laughs> I think Frank is the beginning of what needs to be a lot of yeses in order to pull off this great big heist. And if you are, let's take it from a movie that is, I think, aware but not on the nose aware of the power of its cast. And by that, the point I want to make is oftentimes a film is pitched to another actor by this person is already in this. Don't you want to be in this film? Mm-hmm. If he already has Frank locked down, which would be hands-on in the casino, three-card Monty guy. That's his role, yeah. Then we at least have a start. There's no way Frank is going to say no. 
I think I would say the same thing. It was yeah. almost he needs a little bit of buy-in on his plan before he goes buy-in. to get go. the heavy hitter that's rusty. Like his confidant, his like best bud on mm-hmm. the outside. So mm-hmm. I was just curious because I thought that was interesting. I naturally thought it would go right to, to Pitt and then they just tell you the plan. But he goes to him first. You know what else is interesting about that too? Mm-hmm. Not that Bernie Mac was, rest in peace, mm-hmm. a small actor or an unknown. Of the ones in there, that's one of the lesser entities too. In this film, yeah. In this film. Yeah. Again, things are going to change for Bernie Mac as his career progresses and such. But the Bernie Mac show, maybe, is that about what's going on for him at this time? Maybe some stand-up That's stuff? That's probably after, yeah. After yeah, so this. maybe not even that. It's an interesting choice to open up because I think probably for a lot of people and the reintroduction of what is Hollywood lip gloss, and by that I mean the reintroduction of the new Rat Pack. Mm-hmm. Bernie Mac is an interesting side character to choose first because he's not Sammy Davis Jr. Sure. Um, and a little bit of an unknown. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. Uh, speaking of the original, have you ever seen the original? No. I've never seen it either. Mm-mm. Yeah, so I've just kind of only known this one. and I haven't heard, like, I read some about it. I don't think that's a real well-received film. Yeah, though. I haven't heard of it, like, as being, like, labeled a classic yeah. that must be watched. So, right. if anything, this film probably trumps it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But we go uh, to to Brad Pitt, who's in Los Angeles, and kind of like what he's doing here too. And with a lot of, it's essentially the CW uh, night Thursday night lineup of Topher Grace, uh, Shane West, uh, Joshua Jackson, Barry Watson. They were all in like Seventh Heaven and Dawson's Creek. It's like all those guys, yeah, teaching them how to play cards, and they're terrible at it. Right, <laughs> so I love it so much. Yeah, what does Topher put out? He's just like, I got all reds. <laughs> Reds, I know, <laughs> and he—you can see how mundane it is for him. I mean, mm-hmm. like this is my like what I'm doing, like spending time with these youths that don't know a lick about poker. Right. I mean, who? I mean, some people probably don't know poker, but it's a fairly simple game to at least know how to like get into the basics. Yeah, yeah, the basics. Yeah, right. Um, but here comes Clooney, and like when he sees his presence there, he, he's got to know like, well, this guy's showing up with me. Like, what's this guy cooking up here? It's never been done before. It's going to need planning and a large crew. Guns? Not exactly. There's a lot of security, but the take. What's the target? Eight figures each. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? What? You want to knock over a casino? So not one casino, but three. Uh, so kind of the gist of the of the plot being introduced to us right here is the Bellagio, the Riviera? No, the Mirage. The Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand are all owned by this tycoon. Uh, almost called him Terry Silver. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Benedict, Benedict, right? Benedict, yes. Okay. <laughs> it's another cantankerous individual. Yeah. Uh and he and they kind of house all the the money and everything in um, in one one vault. You know what I mean. So all the take of all three casinos in one vault, which is interesting and kind of how they how they stage everything. But we don't know why Clooney wants to go after. We just kind of know at this point he wants to go after a big haul. So at yeah. some point, you know, one hundred and fifty million dollars might be in here on one collective night. So it's intriguing to Pitt. I mean, he's like, yeah, why not? If this is in here and 
the big problem is the vault. I mean, we're told to us very early on that this vault is newly constructed. It's like essentially harder to get into than like a nuclear missile silo. Yeah. Uh, so if we can get through that and figure that part out, um, then we, we might be on our way. What do you kind of think of like, because talking about heist and knocking off mom and pop diamond stores and knocking off a bank to pay for a sex change operation, what do you kind of think of this go at it? This is ambitious for sure. Well, yeah, this is the biggest haul of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like a very big task to take on because this 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 has a name. What is it called? Um, what? The, the vault. Anyway, whatever. They call that vault. Or am I thinking of the third one? No, I'm thinking of this one. Because they call it the Greco. <laughs> the Gre- there you go. That's the, the third one. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking of mm-hmm. then. So it is the third one. So this vault is an impossible task, which gives us, you know, something to fight against. It seems to fit the size of what this hall is going to be that Danny's willing to you know, go back to jail for. Mm-hmm. But I have a question for you. Okay. I, mean, I don't know if I answered that, but I think I think that was the answer. Sure, yeah. Are you okay with the strategy piece and the way it's portrayed in film in this? I think so. In this movie. I think so. Uh, because the, the, the one kind of way it's, it's kind of circumventingly told to us is mm-hmm. the way that they're going to practice, quote unquote, is by making a replica recreation of said vault. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they can get all the, the licks out, then when they go and perform the actual heist, then they'll be prepared uh, to do so. So right. the strategizing, I was actually going to ask you this. Was, do you think they're prepared when the heist actually goes down? Do you think that they're, you know, compared to last week's, you think they're prepared to, to handle this? No. Okay. The reason is not because I don't think that he has a talented team that he's assembled. And last week, those guys weren't prepared either. Well, gosh, it's a yeah. terrible comparison. And the guys. week before that either. <laughs> right, right. No, I struggled with the strategy bit on this one a okay. little bit. Part of it is, and I like the way Soderbergh shoots it, mm-hmm. multiple cameras, and it's not A to B to C to D. It jumps around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite fourth wall breaking, but it's close. Yeah. It seems to be aware, the movie seems to be aware of the relationship it has with the audience. Mm-hmm. I struggled with the strategy on this one. Like I actually, for the the vault to be this impenetrable thing that they can't get into, I wanted it to be more than Don Cheadle's jargon mm. that doesn't make any sense. I wanted to see more of the practice and the the blueprinting, the inception building like world, if you would, that didn't quite get there for me. On to this. be completely honest with you, I think they do better of that in 13. Okay. You just took the words right out of my mouth. Okay. 12 is shit. 13 is the best that for that 12 is a great idea. Terrible execution. Spoiler alert. I mean, it's essentially Andy Garcia wanting revenge for how they got ripped off and they have to repay those debts with little, little heists around the great, great premise. Yeah. Terrible execution. Terrible. (laughs) But 13, I think, is like it's a well-oiled machine at that point. You know everyone's role, and then they go about, you know, staging how they're going to essentially pay out the casino and rob the diamonds. Yeah. I think they do a better job of it in that one. You're right. And so for the vault being as big an obstacle to overcome as it is presented in this movie, Mm -hmm. man, I just... And I didn't know... I've probably seen this movie five or six times, and Mm -hmm. we watched it on on Monday. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think that I needed more of 
XO, the hard strategy building of it. And that's, okay, so then that gets into another point. Okay. If you're taking Ocean's Eleven and remaking it, what you're essentially doing is creating a cast of characters to feature three to four mostly. Pitt, Clooney, Damon, and then you can insert Cheadle or Mac or Affleck or whoever you want to put in that fourth role. But I guess maybe Julia Roberts. Yeah. It is a showcase event in Hollywood. Yeah. As the Rat Pack movies were, Mm -hmm. that is kind of what I was saying earlier, very aware of cast as executive producer role in this. Mm -hmm. It's very aware of who we put in here. And you can tell Mm -hmm. by the way they're dressed. Brad Pitt looks like a million bucks in every scene, right? I mean, eating his way through every scene. I would argue like up until now, he might be like Michael Corleone was the best character in film, especially in Godfather 2. That brown... Camel hair trench coat with that red sweater and those is he looks yeah right okay you get me mm-hmm. Brad Pitt's got him beat yeah I want that wardrobe yeah. rusty <laughs> and that's outdoing Clooney who's never been slovenly dressed in his life looking, so what I'm looking pretty good himself yeah all of them really well done so we are showcasing these mannequin like surfboard beautiful characters in this film. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the point on then the strategy, yeah. that's kind of not what this movie is. And Soderbergh still addresses it. Like, it's still brought up because I think that's an important piece to keep mm-hmm. some entertainment in there. You can only have mannequin pretty for so long. Eventually, that gets old. Yeah. You and- take the mannequin pretty wardrobe. You take the cast of characters and the power they have on presence. And you take the strategy to break into this, this vault. One of those three things has to come in third place. Well, let me, let me, yeah, exactly. Let me, and let me kind of. Through, through no, through no, I'm sorry to interrupt one last thing. Yeah. Through no fault of the filmmaking, it's just one of them has to, like, there's a driver, there's a passenger seat, and there's the back seat. Sure. Clooney and Pitt are going to be up front. Mm-hmm. What's going to be in the back? Yeah. Okay, go. Th- this part. No, you're right. I think I did pick up on a little bit of that too, of like staking out the casino, making sure this is in play. Other than, you know, them, stealing the electromagnetic uh, pulse machine yeah. and then building the vault. Uh, there's a few things with Elliot Gould and Carl Reiner that are like a bit of strategy, but in 13, there's like a lot of things they're loading dice in Mexico, yeah. Bernie Max at like a casino convention. Yeah. Uh, there's that whole subplot where David Pamer's the guy reviewing the casino, but Al Pacino thinks it's Carl Reiner. So he's pampering that guy. Yep. Like there's a lot in play there with, um, uh, how they're going about strategizing to take this down. And that's downplayed a little bit in this one. You're absolutely right. So what about that though? I don't think it makes it a terrible viewing experience for me. I mean, of course not. What I think this film excels at is the actual execution. When we get to the heist night, uh, I think that's fairly well done Mm -hmm. uh, sequence, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it takes anything away from, from this film. It's just, the piece of a heist, the strategizing, which I don't think we've seen that in the last two weeks because they just essentially decided that morning we're robbing. <laughs> yeah. And for all the criticisms that may be levied there by me on that, I don't know if just watching a heist film where it's heavy, heavy strategy is all that entertaining either. Like Thief comes to mind with um, uh, James Conn. I think that movie's not good. What was the one that came out with um, God, where they 
put Ice Cube's son. What the hell's that kid's then? O'Shea Jackson. There you go, O'Shea Jackson. What was that one that he did like two years ago, three years ago? Whew. Den of Thieves. Oh, yes. That's pretty heavy on the strategy, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But those are different movies. Yeah. Den of Thieves is a much more grittier, and so is Thief for that matter. Mm-hmm. So is The Devil Knows You're Dead. Yeah. <laughs> is a much more grittier, get down in the nuts and bolts of how we're going to get in there, and it presents a different tone. And I don't know if that tone suits Pitt, Clooney, Gould, yeah, this is Paul Reiner. This this it's, is it's, it's pretty. It's, it's not pretty. It's lively too. Yes, yeah, right. It's Vegas. It's pomp. When they go into Vegas and they're playing, um, Jesus, they're playing like one of those stereotypical Vegas songs. It's that type of movie. It's it's Vegas lights. It's old school uh, meets new school. I mean, it's meant to be. Fun. Not we're not we're not doing before the devil knows you're dead again. No, right. <laughs> we're not going into that territory. I mean, we're meant to have a good time with this. Um, yeah, I think right. that, I think that's why the film was successful at yeah. the end of the day. No arguments for me. Let's talk about the rest of the characters too, and okay. just kind of their role. And then I want to do a fun thing with you of other people that could have been in consideration for this movie, and you give me a yay or nay if you wanted them in. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Elliot Gould. He's kind of like very wealthy. Um, was in leagues with uh, Terry Benedict before, but then he kind of cut him out at some point. But he's got an important role in this. He's the financier. Yeah. Uh, halfway through this, I was like, how are they paying for all of this stuff? But then I was like, duh, Gould, I mean, is loaded with cash. So, of course, he's paying for them to make this faux vault for them to practice on. So, mm-hmm. an important role in a heist film. Yes. I don't think we've had a financier in either of the last two movies. Right. Um, okay. Uh, let's do Matt Damon, Linus uh, Caldwell. He's just kind of, he, he seems like the little brother of the whole group. And I love that his name's Linus, like the idiot friend from Charlie Brown. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of what he is, too. I mean, he's a pickpocket. He's really good at that. He's going to play a, an important role in that later. Mm. Um, but he almost seems like he's, like, super outside looking into the point where he's might blow the lid on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. You kind of get that from him? Yeah. Sort of sycophantic in a little bit. There right? you go. But he, but he plays, I mean, later on in the series, he almost kind of becomes the this disguise guy that we're talking about. The nose plays. The nose plays. The, you remember the Gilroy? The Gilroy. The, the, <laughs> God. the Spanish fly he puts on his neck to seduce Ellen Barkin. Ladies and gentlemen, Ocean's 13 is so funny. Yeah, it's, it's so It's so funny. Yeah, Ellen Barkin. Gosh. Oh, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yen, the amazing Yen. Mm-hmm. Important, too. I mean, he's this traveling Cirque du Soleil performer, but the acrobatic one. So when you need someone in a tight pinch and boy, they're going to like put him into like this tiny little barrel, like ass end first. Uh, but he's going to do the acrobatics to kind of avoid the lasers. Also pretty important. Yeah. Carl Reiner. Uh, I almost kind of wonder if they're just paying this guy a favor. Like he's been in the game a long time. Ex con man. I necessarily don't know what he brings other than like a regal attitude to bring some legitimacy to the ploy. Because mm-hmm. he, he he's he's going to deliver these onyx stones to be delivered into the vault that's going to get Yen into the vault. So that's important as well. But other than it almost feels like Pitt's like, I'm throwing you a bone here, old man. You're betting on dog races here on a Sunday afternoon. Do you want a little bit more? And maybe they all kind of look up to him at some point. Maybe he's he's got a name in the the conning world. Yeah. Um, Casey Affleck and Scott Conn. Okay, so they're the ones that, you know, they're interesting. Laurel and, and Hardy. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
they're good with cars and mechanics, but I don't know if we see too much of that here in this film, other than at the end when he drives the van with the robot. Yeah. I think it plays a little bit better in the the rest of the series, but mm-hmm. they're the weak links for me in this first one. Mm. Uh, but we'll talk about some casting stuff here too. Uh, Don Cheadle, he's interesting too, and he's doing a crazy Cockney accent that you can't even understand what, what he's saying, but he's kind of like the demolitions expert. Mm-hmm. You kind of need that in a heist. The last two movies didn't have that. Right. Um, and I think in 13, I think he's drilling to create an earthquake that's going to shut down the power of mm-hmm. the casino, and here they're using an EMP, so uh, that's pretty good. Am I forgetting anybody? The tech guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, tech guy's name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up because I always forget his name, but he is not understated because I think he's very important in this thing. Uh, Li- uh, Livingston Dell. There you go. Yeah, you need the tech You need the tech guy because uh, he's going to you know, rig up all the cameras. He's going to get you into the security stuff, and he's got an important role later that he almost ends up screwing up the whole thing and getting caught by leaving a... Well, one of the, yeah, his like tracking devices behind when he's like putting like uh, camera stuff. Yeah, the CCTV setup. He almost screws up the whole thing. I like just like how neurotic he is. You know what I mean? Like you got to have a guy that's on the fritz who's just like, just so like crazy. He like it. It, it looks like he needs like Xanax to calm down or something. That's this guy, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's the team. I mean, and Bernie Mac, of course, and and he's important too because he works at the casino, so he knows the casino layout. He's going to help lay it all out for them, too. Uh, so that's the 11. Uh, yeah, good team. Yeah, pretty good team. Let, let me do this. I, I was looking forward to, to doing this with you here. Uh, so just some people. Luke and Owen Wilson for the brothers instead of Casey and Scott yes. Conn. Think that would have been pretty good? Yes. Okay. Now, I don't have roles, but I'm just going to list the actor, and you give me a yay or an a. Okay. Mike Myers. No. Okay. Bruce Willis. Yeah. Ewan McGregor. Yep. Alan Arkin. Mm, instead of Carl Reiner. I'd yeah. Probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ray Fiennes? No. It, too serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we already have a lot of... Uh, it's not that type of movie. No. I could see him as the Vincent Castle part in the later movies. There you go. Right. <laughs> the Night Fox. Mark Wahlberg. For sure. Okay. Maybe as uh, Matt but Damon? Yep. As, as, as I say as Linus. Yeah. That'd be pretty good. This is my favorite part of trivia here. So Clooney com- was committed to this role. I mean, this is something he really wanted to do. And he had to turn down the lead role in Unfaithful, the Richard Gere part. Oh, wow. Which would have been pretty cool, right? That would have been great. Uh, the what ifs of, of Hollywood. But you know what I wonder oftentimes, Casey Affleck at this time is a nothing. Mm-hmm. Still kind of is a nothing. Is he writing the coattails of Goodwill Hunting script? <laughs> and did Ben pass? Could have, yeah. Because I could see him in any number of those roles as well. And look, I mean, at that time, Ben and Matt were inseparable. Mm-hmm. Whether that was, in fact, true or not, they were a package deal and did a lot together. You know what I watched this week was The Last Duel. It's good, isn't it? They I didn't know that they wrote it. Yep. That has to be their first co Did they really, really write it, oh, yeah. or did they Goodwill, hide, did, Goodwill Hunting pretend write it and take credit for Matt it? Matt Damon write most of it, and Ben <laughs> was like, hey, put my name on that. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think they had co-written anything since Goodwill Hunting. So did you like it? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, interesting little drama, huh? Yeah, thought everyone was really good. I mean, I hadn't liked a Ridley Scott movie and since like The Martian, maybe, and that's yeah. pushing it a bit. So I was glad to see him return to form. To Scott's credit, eighty-four-year-old man, he's still making movies. Like I ne- would never do that to him. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So here we have the team. Now here's the pitch. 
Okay, bad news first. This place houses a security system that rivals most nuclear missile silos. First, we have to get within the casino cages, which anybody will tell you takes more than a smile. Next, through these doors, each of which requires a different six-digit code changed every 12 hours. Past those lies the elevator. This is where it gets tricky. The elevator won't move without authorized fingerprint identification. Which we can't fake. And vocal confirmation from both the security system within the Bellagio and the vault below. Which we won't get. Furthermore, the elevator shaft is rigged with motion detectors. Meaning if we were to manually override the lift, the shaft's exit would lock down automatically and we'd be trapped. Now, once we get down the shaft, though, then it's a piece of cake. Just two more guards with Uzis and the most elaborate vault door ever conceived by man. Any questions? No, tunneling is out. There's sensors monitoring the ground 100 yards in every direction. If a groundhog were to nest there, they'd know about it. Anyone else? You said something about good news? Yeah. The Nevada Gaming Commission stipulates that a casino must hold in reserve enough cash to cover every chip it play on its floor. That means, on a weekday, by law, it has to carry anywhere between 60 and 70 million dollars in cash and coin. On the weekend, between 80 and 90 million. On a fight night, like the one two weeks from tonight, the night that we're gonna rob it, 150 million without breaking a sweat. Is all isn't that a, like kind of like a crazy like statistic that a casino must carry enough to cover every chip in the casino, which you know if you go to a casino you kind of always think the house is screwing you whether on the slots or in the table games but by law they have to have enough stored to pay out if yeah nuts that's just so much money in these casinos 150 million yeah uh, big night if you go into a casino what are you playing. I'm a I'm a craps guy myself. Oh, me too. Love it. Yeah, that's, I haven't played in a long time. We should go play sometime. We should. Yeah, it's actually been a long time. But that, that's that's one where you can like you can win a lot if you kind of know what you're doing. So, did I ever tell you my Lake Tahoe story? No. So we were in Lake Tahoe for some holiday. Oh my my uncle got married. Okay. And so we were at uh, the casinos there, and I walked into the Caesar's Palace Casino at Tahoe one morning. Okay. No, wasn't it? Or, and that might not be correct. I forget which casino it was. Anyway, it was maybe like 8.30 and we'd been up pretty much all night. Okay. And, you know, one of those kind of things. It was, And it was me and my family. Mm-hmm. And I rolled up to a craps table that had about 20 people really busy for that time in the morning. And I got on a roll with a guy yeah. that rolled for 48 straight minutes. Wow. 48 straight minutes. That's the problem the was that was early on in my craps days and I was just a point and back the point kind of guy. Sure. Not playing the hard ways and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I only ended up walking with like 220. I sat down with 20, walked terrible. with 220. No. Yeah. But 40, and I think on the final row, I probably lost like 60 bucks. So I was probably close to 300 at max. Okay. 48 minutes. It's the best I've ever seen. That's awesome. And that's a lot of fun when that happens because then the table goes crazy and everyone starts clapping and... It gets to be a pretty jovial It's like event. the movies. It is. Yeah, it's like craps in the movies always look like when someone's got the hot hand, it looks great. Because 48 minutes, it, that's rare. Usually you, you're done in four. Yeah, because if you get a seven, it's over. Like now. Yeah. Or two, three, or, you know, 12 on their come out, you're done. So if you could play the field, you're playing the pass line, and then if you have some on like yeah. four, five, six, mm-hmm. eight, yep. man, you're, you're cleaning up. Yeah. Yep. Back I, in I, those days, I'd play the point with odds, and then I'd buy like the six and the eight and... You know, 
He rolled a lot of fours and tens that day, and I wish I'd been playing those because they're two to one. I took a strategic math class in college, and I remember mm. w- the one thing I remember from that class was he said one day, craps is statistically the best thing you can win at in a casino. Really? Any table game or any slot, you're statistically more likely to win at craps than anything else. So I was like, noted. Go into the casino, and I turned to <laughs> Uh, but excellent. So that's the place. So a lot of money in play here. Mm-hmm. Something that I think is a little understated in this is, you know, Clooney lays out how hard it's going to be to get into this vault. Once we're there, we should be cherry. Yeah. Uh, and no one kind of was like, well, I'm out. That sounds terrible. But when he rattles off the total, so that's eight figures each for equal shares. Awesome. That's the other thing too, is like Clooney's not taking more than Scott Kahn. <laughs> right. They're all taking e- equal shares. Then they kind of perk up. What I would kind of like to know is just a little bit more of how desperate they are to jump all in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like what's tripping up all these other people that they're willing to play along. Yeah. They don't really go into a lot of that other than Elliot Gould really wants to get Terry back for stick it to Terry for, for sticking it to him. And, Carl Reiner wants to get back in the game. We kind of don't know why with anyone else. So that's, you know, this is a two-hour movie. I don't know if we have time to get into everyone's freaking backstory, but I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. But their game, I mean, what is, you know, $15,000, $18,000 each maybe, $20,000? Million, not thousand. Oh, million. 20 million. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, so yeah, nice. That's pretty good. Good haul. So now we kind of go into recreating the vault, you know, staking out the casino, kind of seeing what the plan's going to be. They're going to do it on a Lennox Lewis fight night. <laughs> I know. It gets a Klitschko, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of like HBO uh, After Dark. You remember when they used to do it? I don't even know if they do that anymore. Jim Lampley. Do they do that? Yeah. They still do fights? Uh-huh. Uh, not, not that I've ever watched, so yeah. excellent. Uh, do you ever know the Jim Lampley story? Mm-mm. That's an interesting character. Okay. So kind of on the path to be Bob Costas mm. and got popped for drugs basically derailed his careers and had to resurrect himself in the fight game and really good at it. Mm-hmm. But Jim Lampley could have, was really close to being Bob Costas. Really interesting. Yeah. Who that whole that HBO sports era around that inside mm-hmm. the NFL and sports with Bob Costas. Like they, they had some good stuff on around that time. Yeah. But let's introduce the next aspect of this film. That's going to further complicate everything. The mall aspect, if we will, uh, this is Tess. I don't make this quick. I came here for you. When I get on with my life, I want you with me. You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. I don't do that anymore. Steal? Lie. I'm with someone now who doesn't have to make that kind of distinction. No, he's very clear on both. You know what your problem is? I only have one. You've met too many people like you. I'm with Terry now. Does he make you laugh? He doesn't make me cry. Such a good line. I have three separate questions for you. Uh, Do I like Julia Roberts? No, no that, I can't stand her. That's I, number one. No, I was. That was one of the questions of. Does she make it work, or would you like to have seen someone else? And like, I know Catherine Zeta's in the next one, but I could see her playing this one. No, I want someone else. I don't like him. I don't like Julia Roberts. Even Jennifer Lopez from Out of Sight would probably have been pretty good in this role, too. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, Circa era that time. Like, I don't want Gwyneth Paltrow no. uh, and Julia Roberts. But she was, like, in the soda. Michelle Pfeiffer? Oh, per- perfect. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that'd be, yeah. Susan Sarandon? 
Yeah, I can see that. Me too. Maybe a little bit older to be matching with Clooney there, but oh, Pfeiffer would be pitch perfect. Yeah. Um, but Roberts was kind of in the Soderbergh bullpen at this point. I mean, I think they did the year after this was Brockovich. Oh no, the year before was Brockovich and Traffic. Uh, well, she's in and she's in Brockovich won the Oscar for that mm-hmm. one. So knew of her, so that's probably how she ended up in in this one as well. Does that scene remind you a little bit of Out of Sight? Just the, the tabletop oh, discussion, yeah. like the way he shoots it, the way it's lit. It's like them at the table, you know, when they're doing the tit for tat, the scene you talked about. Yep. Uh, and part three, if we have a lack of strategy in this uh, uh, film of seeing, you know, staking out and the claims, when we introduce an element, a romantic element like this, now when we know what Clooney's stake in the game is, does this work for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it adds another layer to the Terry Benedict and how hateable he is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it works. That works. I, I don't love her, but it works. Yeah, I think... How about you, for you? I like the elements of the character and what it, what it brings. I mean, Clooney, we now know, like, could probably care less about whatever money he's going to take in. Mm-hmm. We'll find out that later. He just wants his wife back to like, take him back for the wrongs he did, the time he served, and she won't even pay him the time of day because... Terry Benedict is yards better than him and is loaded with cash. So if Clooney's heist angle is to turn all that against him and we're going to kind of see him play through that, I think that's, I think that's pretty, pretty good for his character. It makes him a little bit more layered than just a con man. Agreed. So let's get to the con actually. So fight night. So this is going to be kind of interesting to kind of break down. You're going to have to help me kind of like walk through uh, what we did. So we have, um, Livingston, you know, manning the CCTVs mm-hmm. outside. So he's in, in the, one of the rooms. Um, but before we do that, let me play this clip too, because I like this, you know, talking about screenwriting. We always like to talk about how it gets worse before it gets better. I'm sorry. I didn't know if it would sting you, but it did. You're out, Danny. He's out? It's either that or we call the whole thing off. His involvement puts us all at risk. This is not your call. Oh, you made it my call. When you put her before us, you made it mine. This is my job. Not anymore. Wait, wait, wait. He can't just be out. Who's going to trigger the vault? Kid, you up for it? I can do it. Done. Locate the others. Let them know the change in plan. Curtain goes up at 7. Tess is with Benedict now? She's too tall for him pretty good um but yeah it was kind of the secret Clooney was keeping from all the rest of the 11 but when it comes out it's like well we either call it off or we keep you out of it unless we can find something for you to do off to the side we have to change up that part your part of the the heist uh pretty pretty good I, li- I like that too I, yeah. I wanted to get as hopeless as it can before we dive all in so we have this fight like we established you know Carl Reiner's gonna bring in these kind of onyx gems to go down into the vault. Uh, Casey Affleck and Scott Conn are going to kind of, they're like his entourage or his security team. They're going to help him get that, get that in. And once it's in, and I love how it almost looks like he's kind of like having a heart attack while all of this is happening. So he's like sweating bullets about to like give himself away. And Andy Garcia even says, yeah, it's protocol. We don't let people go into the vent uh, thing, but also I don't trust you. Like you can just tell, like, and you're kind of wondering, man, is this thing going to go tits up before we even get down into there? Yeah, isn't he supposed to be some Russian oligarch or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then we have uh, Casey Alvarez and Scott Khan are bringing in the kind of 
what, what do you call that? Deposit boxes yeah. of cash or yeah. what, whatever. They're going to bring it in there. And this is where the plan could just go south instantly is they don't have the key card to, to get in and they can't fake it. They've already established that. But they get into a fight arguing about losing the key card where these other guys come in and we're like, well, no, we're going to take it down for you. Like if that doesn't go through, this, none of this it's is done. It's done. It's so done. Clooney's playing uh, slots. Terry notices it, and he's aware of Clooney's presence. He knows this is Tess's ex-husband. His presence here is peculiar, peculiar to say the least, mm-hmm. so we need to get him out of here. And so what's someone with Terry Casino mob connections going to do? He's going to go rough him up a bit. I guess I had forgotten this part, too, was the guy that they bring in to rough up is actually with Clooney. I mean, he yeah. set this part of the, the, the ploy up, and I love how he, he just clocks him across the face. And he was like, not now. Not like, now. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's got like a shiner already. Um, but this guy's got to rough up the room while Clooney goes in through the vents uh, into the vault. So far, so good. And inside the deposit boxes that are going down to the vault is Yen, all crunched in. <laughs> Size like, of about this bottle of bourbon. Literally. I like how Pitt, uh, uh, Rusty tells him, you want something to read? And he just throws him the finger. I know. <laughs> That poor guy. I mean, that, that. Oh, well, he already had. He already had his hand smashed by the van. Uh-huh. That's that might be one of my favorite sequences of the movie. I think the EMP is pretty ridiculous in this movie. Like we're getting like pretty out there with how we're gonna get the power out in all of Las Vegas, Nevada. But that scene when they go break into. I know this thing. It's in California. They go steal it. Linus cannot stand the two brothers together. Right. Like, and if that was Luke and Owen Wilson, that would have been like a goal. It would have been so good. Oh yeah. Where he just bails, goes in. And then when he goes in, they come instantly out. So then he's running around the building. The security guys are chasing him. He jumps on the roof of the van. It's a total just shit show. And then Yen gets his hand broken. Like it's, it's one of those things where like, maybe this team doesn't exactly know what they're doing. The infighting, right? That's the dynamic that we want to see is, as you said, it's going to get better before or get worse before it gets better. It's getting worse before it gets better because the dynamic of the team is failing as well. Mm-hmm. Some of that is staged, but some of it isn't. Like the Clooney bit where you're out, mm-hmm. as Rusty says, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. you brought Maul into this, you're gone. Yeah. You brought Maul. Yeah, exactly. That's legit. Mm-hmm. So if the mastermind has been removed from the place and they're giving it to Linus, who in this movie they've decided is an understudy at best. Oh, yeah then the odds start to stack on what were already pretty long odds to begin with. And at least you had the camaraderie and friendship to sort of save the day, if you will. Sure. That seems to be diminishing. Yeah. Well, I really, so now Rusty does have to, or Linus has to step up in Clooney's absence. And I love that scene where Rusty's coaching him on, because he's going to go in as this, casino investigator Mm -hmm. to investigate Bernie Mac, get him kicked out, but then just get in the threshold to get into the rafters, to go into the vault. You got to be funny, but don't be too funny. You got to do this, but don't look him in the eye. You got to do this, but don't do that. It's like, Oh God, what can he do? Like I would have messed all of that up. Heck yeah. One of those things that would have blown. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's really good. But so this is Linus's first like incognito like moment to prove himself. And he, he does pretty well for himself Mm -hmm. and kind of gets in Bernie Mac gets fired, but this is part of the plan to get Linus in. So Linus could get into the rafters in the vault. Once we're there, Clooney meets up with him. 
now that the power needs to go out, the EMP goes off at all of Las Vegas. So now at that point, that's kind of like the point of no return. The power's out. Benedict's going to know about that because the fight, like I kind of imagined in the fight, I would have loved to have seen if those guys like still kept fighting in the dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just pummeling each other and they, they just can't stop it. Uh, but he's got to know something's up. I mean, power just doesn't go out like that without something batting an eye. Uh, once we get into the vault, I really like a lot of this too, with Yen trying to open the door and that they're afraid they're going to blow him up and he forgot the batter, the batteries are bad and just all that little stuff. Those are just the, the human. It's not like a chuckle laughter. It's not like we're watching Caddyshack or airplane here. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like smart humor, but like it's delivered so well by all of these actors that you're just like, yeah, this is very humorous. It's circumstantial humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so once we get into the vault and, Terry kind of knows that they're there. Let's talk about this, the extraction of said funds. What do you think of this? Is this work for you? Is this a bit of a stretch of how they get everything out? I think the remote control car's a bit stupid, but I kind of buy the SWAT team bit. What do you kind of think of? Yeah, the SWAT team's all you need. Especially if the power were to go out, you would see the SWAT team come in. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, that could happen is when the power goes out, you put some smoke bombs off in the casino or create just some sort of chaotic-like element Mm -hmm. that would cause or make benedict push the police button a little bit quicker mm-hmm. um no that works the remote control cars i'm not yeah it's it, again it's been set up earlier because we've seen them run over each other the monster truck runs over the little remote control car so it's been set up mm-hmm. but yeah i think i'm with you on the remote control car and the emp might be a bridge just a little bit too far i don't know if you need the emp what about it's so big and it, this, it's really big yeah and, and the heist is kind of quaint in its own little effective way. Mm-hmm. An EMP is not quaint. Yeah, that's uh, that's a James Bond we- villain weapon. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think uh, kind of what Rusty, the, the next part of his ploy is this planted phone on test that she receives the call and then gives it to Terry, so now he has a connection with the group. Holding the money hostage, we're going to blow up this part of the money unless you have th- this part. Do you think we need that, or is that too much? I kind of um, like that. I kind of like the confidence of the group, like, literally addressing who they're robbing from and what they're going to do. Like, I, there's just something about that that I appreciate. Yeah, no, I think sort of the remote control cars and the EMP, I think the rest of it is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Like I said, quaint. Yeah. That goes back to the point we're making earlier when we're talking about strategy. Because the strategy is quaint and mostly based upon personality, which makes sense considering who they chose to play the parts Mm -hmm. and feature them in these roles. Yeah. All that works. The EMP, though, doesn't. Yeah. Um, You know, James Bond-like type villain, as you stated, Mm -hmm. um, weapon. Yeah. Terry Benedict is dislikable, but he's not a James Bond takedown villain with that kind of thing. No, 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 no. No, but the, the, what you asked me, yes, no, I, I, that works for me. That part's okay, because, yeah, the, the SWAT team comes in to assess the vault, which Clooney, Matt Damon, and Yen are in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all going to get out with the money, but, like, the kind of hook on that is all this footage that they've been watching of this vault going kaput is... Uh, Livingston's like CCTV feed of this staging that they did days ago. Yeah. I think that's cool. I, uh, and I, I always forget that part as well. Like I remember the extraction of the money, how they do it, the kind of the two vehicles and 
but I always forget that. Yeah, that the, what they're seeing is actually kind of days apart. I mean, then you see his role kind of come into it really well. Um, but once we kind of get the money out, I mean, Benedict's got to be like, he goes into the vault and the vault's empty. He's like, oh my gosh, like what happened here? Goes to Clooney was like, I know you're a part of this. Like, you can't convince me that you're not. And he's like, I've been here getting my ass beat by this guy that I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Terry kind of lets him leave. But here's where we kind of get that moment that kind of brings it all full circle for Danny, at least. I'm going to give you one last chance. Where's my money? What if I told you I could get your money back? If you give up Tess, what would you say? I would say yes. All right. I know a guy, we were in the joint together. Anybody pulls any job in the Western United States, he knows about it. You give me 72 hours, I'll find out who took your money. What a great, what a great setup. If that was his angle from the very beginning, it's genius. Yep. Because like, if it came to this moment where I'm going to rob you, do this, just to do this moment. And I like how it's, I think it's Livingston that calls her. It's like room such and such or channel 88. And then that's all he says. So she puts it on and watches this feed and kind of sees her worth at that point. Mm -hmm. That uh, Terry, he'd rather have his money than her. So. Obviously, I'm out. Right. But if that was Danny's just angle, the, the whole beginning, it's this whole thing was just genius at that point. You know, yeah. it's pretty good. To, pretty slick. To get that guy to say those words, yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Per- perfect. Yeah. So Clooney's going to go to jail, um, but he kind of wins in the end. Uh, Tess comes back to him and was just like, how can I help this? I want to make this work. Mm-hmm. And then it maybe maybe my favorite part of the movie is the group kind of comes back to the warehouse and then they go to the Bellagio fountains and Claire DeLune plays as they're kind of, you know, watching it. And there's just something so satisfying about that moment of seeing these guys beat the system. Yeah. Beat this guy. They won. They didn't get caught. The plan went to the nines. Like there was really nothing other than maybe Yen getting his arm cast stuck in the vault wall or, um, Livingston almost screwing it up or a few just comedic hiccups along the way. It went pretty well compared to the last two weeks. This is a good from beginning to end. This is a good heist. Agreed for the, for the group. <laughs> we pick up with it. What does he say? I'll be in the prison three or four, three or so six months later. And then the title cards like three or six months later, right? He's getting out of the, the joint rusties of course eating again, but he's brought tests and kind of looks like they're going to, go try and live live out life with whatever money they had. And they're all doing pretty well for themselves. It's, I can see why you would want to do a sequel to this because you kind of want to see what did these guys do with all their winnings at that point? Mm-hmm. How did they abuse those funds in all those nefarious ways? But the film ends, Terry's guys are obviously following him because he still doesn't trust Clooney. I think that probably sets up a sequel pretty well too. Sure. But pretty satisfying ending, I think. I mean, yeah. compared to the last two weeks where... Everyone almost dies in, in before the devil knows you're dead or that whole thing just goes completely ruined. And John Cazale takes a bullet to the forehead uh, from Lance Henriksen. I mean, mm. here's a heist that's successful. So yeah, to that, to a successful... To winning. To winning. 
And then that the film wraps up. Uh, the film had a budget of I think eighty five million, which for a film like this is pretty high. But you know you got to pay these people. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. But uh, I think this is impressive. I don't know if this would happen like nowadays. A four hundred fifty million dollar gross for a movie like this. That's pretty good. No kidding. Oh my god. Oh, oops. That it's. There, there we, we go. go. <laughs> when did this come out? Two thousand one. Okay. Yeah. Twenty one years ago. Yeah. Damn. Um, it doesn't seem like a movie like that today would be popular. You know what I mean? I do. And I'm mainly being uh, facetious and curmudgeon because all we want now is remakes and this and superheroes. And it, this movie just doesn't seem like it would play today. That's fair. Yeah. But back then, I mean, we were ready for it. An ensemble heist casino film. Why not? That sounds great, though. Again, today. Mm-hmm. I'd go see that again today. Oh, yeah. It's a shame that that's not maybe more popular than what you're talking about. Cause mm-hmm. and the gun and the girl and an ensemble piece in a casino heist kind of, you had me at the first syllable you uttered. Well, how's a casino as a backdrop for a setting is awesome. awesome. I mean, we did casino Royale. That was great. I mean, the movie casino mm-hmm. is also fun, but mm-hmm. there's just something about the glitz and glam, the lights, yep. the gambling, the noise of slot machines. Uh, there's just something about it. And then on film, like I mentioned, craps on film look amazing. Plays really well. Plays really well. So Indecent proposal. Oh, gosh. we got to find a way to wheel that in because talk be, about oh, a, man, I'd love to do that psycho, a psychotic scenario to find yourself. <laughs> what if? Yep. Oh, not Robert Redford, no. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent. That's that's a capper on, on this. A lot of Steven, Steven Soderbergh's We'll, we'll touch on this in the nightcap, but just kind of going through his filmography, his filmography is so diverse mm-hmm. with the types of movies he's made. I yeah. mean, the ensemble casino heist movie is so different from traffic. It's so different from traffic. The, the movie he did the year prior. That's kind of an ensemble procedural crime drama. Procedural drug cartel movie. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. Awesome. Strange. But I think that's one of his strengths is able to kind of just dabble into different types of, of filmmaking and, you hear that, Steven Soderbergh? Get back to what you're good at. Get back to it. Because <laughs> it's been a little dry lately. Yeah. Well, we'll mention that here in a bit. But what's your favorite tasting note of Ocean's Eleven? I I don't know if I have a favorite tasting note. Can I just say general chemistry between Clooney and Pitt and let that be Why the answer? Yeah. yeah. I think they're really good together. Oh, yeah. I buy them as a team. And... Um, they're fun to watch. You almost kind of, it, it was almost like too long to get these Titan yeah, actors together, together on screen. And other than the Oceans films, oh no, they're in Burn After Reading. There you go. Because he shoots them in the head. That's right. <laughs> right. Uh, great choice. Yeah, they're good together. Mm-hmm. And then even Damon kind of a little more backplayed, the three of them together. And I think that's why 13's even better is because it's almost like the three of them together. Yeah. And they're great. Yeah. Uh, What's yours? Mine's that them staring at the fountains. There's just something so cerebrally satisfying about yeah yeah we won gotcha and then they kind of leave all separately i like it it's almost like the sports team won the final game and now they all leave the stadium separately Mm -hmm. something like that good what's the oh my god moment of oceans 11 where we have to have some more pin hook to get that taste out of our mouth could be a moment could be a shock could be suspense i'll give you mine mine is Yen's cast in the vault thing. Like I, I forgot about that moment too. And I was like, <laughs> did they just blow Yen like 20 feet past this door? And the, the no batteries gag made it even better. <laughs> um, Mine might be Yen too. And it might be the part when the van door slams and crushes Gosh. his hand. 
Just because it looks painful. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever no. or slammed like a finger? Thank God, no. One time, Bo, I, I slammed a... Well, my mom did it, actually. She slammed the car door on my... These two fingers here? Yeah. Actually, these three. Because on this one, you can actually see... Can you see a white line going through the middle of that? Yep. It went... They all went black. And I had a band Ooh. concert that night. So to play saxophone, my fingers are like barely moving. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was, it was brutal. So I could feel the pain. I mean, he had his whole hand in that... Has its own set of pain, but very sensitive area there. Boy, and how. But it's funny. I love that whole scene of just, it's just, it's a comedy of errors. You know what I mean? Who's the master distiller on Ocean's Eleven? I think Soderbergh is. Uh, To wrangle all the talent and not let one really outshine the other. Ego. Yeah. Yeah, keep egos in check. And then there's some moments in there where you get, you know, he doesn't do split screens, but he does like window pane effects. Mm. And his storytelling is not always linear and i think he has an interesting vision the way he puts things forward keep all of that in place and keep all of these egos in check and give enough people time on screen to where they'd want to come back two more times because i think that's really telling sure didn't have to recast this is no don Cheadle for cuba gooding jr yeah right Rhodes, james rhodes oh no iron man terrence howard i mean yeah I mean, yeah, it could have very well. I'm saying been. Cuba Gooding Jr. because his son is in Scream, and we saw Scream last night. Oh yeah, but anyway, um, that's his son. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that's who uh, Soderbergh. How about for you? Hmm. I'm gonna give it to Clooney and Pitt. I mean, kind of what you said. Your moment. They're so good on screen. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they had to rehearse. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe did one or two takes because it's so natural. Their conversations together. Yeah. And I know Pitt's eating, and that's kind of like his thing in these movies is Rusty's always got a hamburger or, like, fruit or something. eats pasta. He's always eating in these movies. But their chemistry together is just so natural. It's You want more of it. And I'm glad I did get that in Burn After Eating in the most ridiculous fashion. Mm. But um, they're great. Yeah, it's, I mean, to their credit, they're, they're two of the best actors of that era and still are. I mean, I don't even remember the last thing Clooney did. Um, Me either. It's, it's got to be something that I probably didn't much care for. But, again, not his fault. Um, yeah, great, great, great together. How are you going to rate and grade Ocean's Eleven? We have Rock Gut Well, Call Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Call. Good call. Just good old call film. Nice. Um, just a fun, when movies are made to be entertainment and well done, this is what that is. Yeah. It's not super cerebral. It doesn't need to be. Uh, we don't have to dissect the importance of those uh, onyx stones. Right. <laughs> it's just a big, fun popcorn movie that's really well done. Mm-hmm. Perfect summer popcorn film. Did you see this when it came out? I did. Yeah. I don't think I, I did. I don't think I saw this one. I saw 13 first. Mm. And so, when oh, I saw, yeah, it's backwards. When I saw 13, I was actually the day I took the SATs. And I went with a friend. He was like, I'm going to see Ocean 13. You want to come? I was like, sure. I haven't seen the other ones. Why Had not? so much fun watching that movie. Um, and then went back and watched the rest. So I, I did it backwards. Much like I did the Bourne trilogy. I did the same way. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's confusing. I think I started with Supremacy and was just like, what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? And then did Identity and then went back and then did Ultimatum, which was amazing. So, yeah. What'd you uh, give? What's your grade? I'm going to do Single Barrel. Okay. I think... For an ensemble comedy piece, I mean, when do we get ensemble comedies ever? Yeah. Um, I think they're so rare to get this amount of talent, especially Clooney, Pitt, and Damon at this point in their careers. Mm-hmm. Like they're like kind of titans, of, and even Julie Roberts for that matter too. Yep. I mean, to get everyone jam packed in this movie the way they did is remarkable. 
but to keep it entertaining and exciting and keeps you guessing and it's fun and it makes you want to go to Vegas and it kind of makes you want to rob a casino too. Uh, and again, come back two more times. That's a feat. So yeah. um, to that again, 13, I think is my personal favorite, but this, this is great. I mean, this is two hours that you'll enjoy. So if you haven't seen it again, check it out on HBO max right now. Check it out. All three of them. As a matter of fact, we watched all three this week. They are. The other they, they, you did. We did. And so the, the, the pains of 12 stuck with you. <laughs> yeah. That's a that would be an interesting breakdown because I hate the way that film is shot. Yeah, it's real grainy and it's done in like this sort of seventies Italian like spaghetti western homage. And it's because Clooney's living in in Italy at that little casita on the lake, and it just and that, the, that's and, that, that's celeb island. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and the the best part of that film is watching the Night Fox go through Vincent the lasers. Castle, yeah. Like the whole oh, movie is built. And the rest of the movie sucks. <laughs> You're right. Great premise though. Yeah. Like, what would it take to get these guys to now pay back their debts or I'm going to kill all of you? No, great premise. Great premise. Yeah. makes perfect sense. But that, that movie's just not good. Yeah, it's not. The 13 as, redeems itself. It does. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's wrap this up with our nightcap. I think I just like that orchestration. Claire de Lune is just really enjoyable. Beautiful. Okay, Nightcap. Our first Steven Soderbergh film, shame on us, actually. Um, But I think we can come back to him several times, actually. Because when I did a deep dive on this guy's filmography, it is loaded with hits, misses, weirdness, a lot of great discussion, I think, just in his filmography in general. So my Nightcap to you is your top three personal favorite Soderbergh films. Disclaimer. I think I can guess all your top three. Just okay. just looking at it, I think I I, I could do it. <laughs> Number three, okay. I'm gonna go with Magic Mike. Mm-hmm. Did you? Is that I, one that of was them? one of them? Yeah. A lot of people are surprised when I say that I like that film. Hang on a second. Let me let me let me. Did you have all three? <laughs> yes, I did. All right. Because <laughs> Side Effects was close. That's a cool movie. Yeah, because yeah. it's noir. <clears throat> I, I like Magic Mike for all of the things that everyone hated it for, especially the female base that wanted it to just be this rollicking Chippendale cockfest, you know, whatever. Pipe swinging movie. <laughs> cockfest, pipe swinging, whatever. It wasn't. It's a really interesting character study, and I think Channing Tatum's great in that film, and I like it because it's really dark. To your credit, when you said Steven Soderbergh, get back to it, I think he's coming back for a third one. Him specifically so i hope it's better than number two because number two well he didn't do that one did he i don't know yeah so what you want me to do all three or you want to go one three yeah i'll do my my three great great choice by the way my number three uh i'm gonna go with contagion yeah not that we need more contagion in our everyday lives but amen there (laughs) why i like this movie is again another ensemble great cast uh and it really reminds me of those films from the Irwin Allen disaster films of the 70s, like Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno and Earthquake, where you get all the biggest actors. Airport. Airport, yeah, and put them in like a crazy scenario. And in Contagion, this virus is just killing everything. But I like the way it's shot. I like how it goes. And they're not related, you know what I mean? Like they're all dealing with their thing, and it's just intertwined with the event. I know you don't like man versus nature films, but the way Soderbergh kind of creates Spence out of just the like – 
the lethalness of that particular contagion and then how he ends it with like showing you how it started, I think was just genius. So <laughs> that's my number three. I like, again, it, it reminds me of those disaster films from the seventies that I really like. Good. Number two, Solaris. Number- you knew it. <laughs> uh, I think that might be Clooney again. My second favorite Clooney movie. Is that O2? Mm-hmm. That's the year after this one. Natasha McElhone in a very strange story that plays with time and space and regret and love. And what would you like for all of the things that we said about Marvel and their inability to figure out what timeline and universe and butterfly effect and all that. I think that handled it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, remake of a Russian film, actually. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the original Russian one. I have, yeah. Good? It's good, yeah. They're both good. I, I think it's really aesthetically interesting, and I think the performances are melancholy and understated, and like not a chipper film at all, but um, really gets down to the nut and bolts of what works and maybe doesn't work in relationships, and I buy McElhone and Clooney completely. I've heard you talk about that one for years, so I knew that one's always been a favorite of yours. Yeah. Number two for me, a film we very much could have covered in this particular cast, uh, Logan Lucky. Yeah. Uh, Great film. I don't like NASCAR, but a NASCAR heist, and mm-hmm. you have uh, Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, and Daniel Craig. Just good. So good. Uh, 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 they're going to hi- uh, steal money from the this NASCAR circuit, a race. I mean, it's got all the human elements that you want. It's funny as hell. It's just so... Soderbergh in all the right ways. The moment when Adam Driver's prosthetic arm gets sucked into the vacuum into the vault, it's I laughed so hard. Oh yeah, so funny. <laughs> but when I was thinking about it, I was like, we could have done that movie in this in this cast too. And that's another heist movie. It's so strange. It's it's a it's a NASCAR heist, but why not? Well, speaking with the heist one, here's the other entry for that okay. next cast. Yeah. It's my number one. Yeah. It's out of sight. Elmore um, Leonard. God, I love it, man. Yeah. Um, I'm actually putting that down. I'm surprised we haven't covered that movie at this point, just because there's a lot of ways we could have got there. Sure. But we haven't. Clooney and Lopez are really, really great together. Um, it's an interesting heist-ish based film. Don Cheadle's really good in it. Um, solid, solid story that's dark and funny and, it's just that's an excellent movie. It's I love the excellent movie. I love the wheeling and dealing of the pre cinematic universe that somehow got Michael Keaton to play his same uh, role, same role from Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. Yeah, that's awesome. So wild. The Elmore Leonard cinematic universe. Crazy. I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I knew that was your number one. Of course. You've yeah. talked. Uh, you know the trunk scenes great. Their chemistry is sure. you know really good, and that's pivotal for Clooney because I think that's the same year or after Batman and Robin. So he's like, I gotta, I gotta prove I'm not that. I gotta, one. I gotta do that. And Jennifer Lor- uh, Lopez probably wants to prove I'm not just a musician. Uh, I love the scene where he rolls up to her in the bar mm-hmm. and they play identity and yeah. then how that transforms into the, the love scene. And oh man, that's it's good. 10 minutes of amazing filmmaking. Yeah. My number one, number one, Jesse sex lies and video. Yeah, I figured. For a movie, I'll be completely honest with you. Good movie. When I heard the title, I only watched it because I was the thought, first one. I thought I was going to get some nice titillating uh, action, yeah. but what you get is a kind of a darker James Spader uh, confessional, maybe more akin to Taxi Cab Confessions than actual like sex. Yeah. 
to a debut film like that is unreal. Mm-hmm. I mean, Soderbergh arriving with that, you kind of see all his strengths and mm-hmm. what he's able to bring to the table. I think that's 89. Uh, and kind of a lot of the stuff he does up until out of sights, mostly kind of pretty forgettable. Uh, but that's not, uh, that's, it's a great debut film. I'd put it up there with 12 angry men and citizen Kane as the great debut films from a filmmaker. So certainly that's my number one. Good choice. Yeah. James Spader. I mean, what's that guy? Just like that guy in like a kind of a role like that. I just, I live for stuff like that. So. Oh yeah. Uh, this was great. Uh, I was, I, I never knew we'd ever covered oceans 11, but in heist, how could you not? I know, you know what I mean? Sure. So coming up next week, I mean, we're still waiting for some new releases and how we're going to probably cover new releases this year. We discuss is kind of small batch and don't have to build a, a cask around every new release and can just cover things as they come and, um, spend some more time with some, you know, off the beaten path films and some directors and actors and some franchises. Like we should like cut wheel a franchise into one of these casks too. Like we yeah. did Rocky. <laughs> that was great though. That was, that was like monumental for me. That was just like one through six was like an emotional journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we got, we have a Creed film coming out this year, right? Maybe Ooh. at the end of Do the year. We? I didn't see that. that next year. I don't know. Ooh. Deontay Wilder cast to play Clever Lang's son. Is that still on? I think so. Oh, sweet. Got my hopes up. Michael B. Jordan's directing. I mean, uh, yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll. but until then, we're going to return to, I I like when we do this. I like when we do a director's cast because you kind of see their style, their oeuvre, and well, we did Friedkin, and we've done a few others. We're going to return to an old classic. This is going to be three straight weeks of just, Knocking it out of the park with theory, discussion, breakdown, scenario with the greatest filmmaker that's ever lived, Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, I've heard of him. Have you heard of him? (laughs) (laughs) You should have said, hey, who's that? Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Let's start first with, uh, I think, 58 or 54, Rear Window. This is going to be a great discussion. Yeah. Single location, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Stewart, Grace Kelly, Raymond Burr voyeurism uh yeah uh, so many things to talk about uh i i, I, don't, I don't think we've ever <clears throat> talked about you know rear window just kind of just off the cuff but you know often regarded as one of his best films so i'm curious to see kind of where we line up with that uh and then the two weeks after that i'm telling you rye audience that they're gonna slay yep. they, they're gonna slay january and the first part of february is going to be a really really good t- good run for three mm-hmm. for three weeks for the two of us yeah that's what i meant to it, say. it's a good it's a good run every week what are you talking about true excellent i'm well, looking forward to it well to that uh so yeah check out rear window in preparation for next week uh, uh you know go listen to us on apple Podcasts, spotify podbean stitcher any of the uh podcasting apps wherever you listen i listen on apple because i'm an apple guy as I uh, confessed of you two uh, putting their album on my iTunes account all those years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean to ask you. Yeah. Let's do it on the show right now. How yeah. close are we to 100K? We've got to be right there. We're like at 90, 90,000. Just pretty cool. We're, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. That they just We're willing to listen to these little discussions about uh, Soderbergh and heists. And I just, my, my biggest thing at the end of the day is I love that people are listening, but I hope people go seek out some of these movies that they haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Because I know a lot of people haven't seen before The Devil Knows You're Dead. Like, I hope people went and were like, I need to check this out. Yeah, they do. Because that sounded interesting to me. Like, mm-hmm. th- that's my thing is I want to turn people on to other wakes of film than, like, what's out in theaters. You know what I mean? Sure. 
that's always a goal of mine. So I think you're succeeding. Yeah, yeah, I think we are. So until next week, I got to get going again. Uh, I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to play craps. You can come with me. Don't blow on my dice because that got me in trouble one time. Yeah. Not even kidding. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll play the field. We'll play the we'll play the pass line. We'll put some numbers there. Let's just go have a good time. Four and ten. There you Two go. Two to one pays out big time. Let's see if we can beat that guy's record of 48 minutes. That'd be something. That'd be something. All new equipment in the studio. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Ocean's Eleven is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, Village Roadshow Pictures, Jerry Weintraub Productions, Section 8 Productions, and MPV Entertainment. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. You guys are pros. The best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. Of course, lest we forget... Once you're out the front door, you're still in the middle of the fucking desert.